The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good morning, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. How you doing, John? Great. Has that coffee kicking in yet? God, perfect timing. <laughs> Woo, flying already. All right. I uh, shakes going, so. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, I'm a little shaky, uh, maybe for other reasons. Uh, <laughs> just, just looking at me? No, uh, no, I was, uh, you know, family was away. Uh, oh, yeah, you drank uh, a lot last, last night. Yeah. And so I listened to the uh, Sunday show and had... Uh, a couple, uh, three, four, five, six, six seven. beers, seven like you that. You look like, like it. You drink a lot. I had a few. Yeah. I had a few. Uh, you know, I, I just, just, uh, every once in a while, you know, uh, you listen you, to the Sunday show and it encourages me to drink for some reason. Good for the Sunday show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you the, Friday, the Friday show, the lunch meat show encourages me to vomit. <laughs> the Sunday show encourages me to drink and, uh, this show encourages me to brew. There you go. And you brewed so, too, didn't you? I did. I was thinking about this and uh, decided to uh, do some brewing too. So you listened to the Sunday show, you brewed, brewed. and you drank a lot of beer. Yes. That's a good day. Yeah, and that's why I'm a little tired this morning, I think. Yeah. Hey, no slacking, Jamil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have not you ever known me to slack? Once in a while. Well, that's true. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Well, let's, let's dive right into it. We got quite a bit to cover here. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention is when you listen to the show, we go through these recipes pretty fast. Uh, <clears throat> not to worry. Uh, you know, you can get the bot, the podcast and you can, uh, you know, scrub through it and, you know, little by little and get all the detail you want. But, uh, there is a site where the recipes from this show are all, uh, available and that is, um, uh, Fred's site, which is beerdejour.com, which is www. Uh, B-E-E-R-D-U-J-O-U-R dot com. And, uh, he, uh, one, one of the really cool things about this site is, um, and there's a link to it from the Brewing Network site from the Jamel page. At, at the bottom of the list of shows, there's a link to his site. And one of the cool things about his site is he got tired of going around and finding recipes that, uh, were garbage. So he, he was making up his first all grain recipe one time. Nice. And was just asking for comments on it from people, feedback. And lo and behold, he sees it posted on one of these beer collection, recipe collection sites. Okay. And he's like, well, you know, I never actually brewed it. It's the first all-game recipe I ever tried to formulate. And I wasn't sure that it was any good, yet it ended up on this site. So what he wanted to do was only post recipes that have won awards. Right. And, yeah, maybe that's not, you know, the uh, indicator of, you know, uh, great beer and uh, you could have a great beer that doesn't win an award. But sure. It's a, it's, a, it's a start. At but least. at least it's some yeah. sort of uh, measurement to say, okay, all of these have at least been brewed for one. Mm-hmm. And they turned out, you know, close enough to the style to so you can have an idea of what you're getting. Right. And so he's been collecting those there and trying to uh, put them in a nice searchable format and uh, doing a real nice job. And you know he's not trying to like get rich off of this or anything. I, I don't think he <laughs> makes a penny off of this. It, it costs yeah. some money to have the the website. But uh, uh, what's cool is he's just doing it to kind of help people out. And uh, so if you get a chance, uh, go by the site. He's got a lot of the neat stuff on there. But uh, you know the the recipe collection is is getting to be uh, larger and is quite good. So we're kind of supporting him by. Uh, Posting all our recipes there for the show. Now, do you know how many recipes of yours are on there? Uh, I don't know, a bunch, bunch, twenty, uh, probably at least. At least yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, that's that's the place where you can get the recipes. Uh, last week or uh, two weeks ago, we uh, covered American Brown Ale as the style, and one of the things we covered was Mike McDowell's uh, fantastic American Brown Ale. And Mike is a great brewer. Is one of the only people the that I will anything that guy offers me in a glass I'll drink. So if you want to poison me, that's the way to get to me is through Mike McDowell. 
and I and I wanted him uh, to come in for the show. He wasn't able to make it in for the show, but you know he supplied the recipe. And uh, afterwards, I asked him to listen to the show and give some feedback. And and one of the things that uh, he he enjoyed the show. He wanted to uh, reinforce one of the things we touched on. He says uh, you touched on this, but it's worth emphasizing that. Uh, in this style, as in many styles, it's best when the malt and hops are in balance. My recipe is the result of many iterations while holding equipment modifications to a minimum. It would only be a starting point. Okay, For other brewers, your results will vary. Uh, American Brown is a style of and by homebrewers, and I believe each brewer should individualize his American Brown Ale. Likewise, I think it should be judged primarily on taste rather than a specific style guideline. It's a style, unlike APAs and Ambers, where the home brewer should be able to get creative without getting dinged. I think that's a good point, and I, and I think we we did kind of get into that where you when know you it's, my brown it's and, a little heresy, yeah. but you know any any brown that um, you know that's brewed in the U.S. Yeah, you know, if you're not trying to do an English version, then you know that's an American brown, but it has to be brown. Has to be brown. <laughs> yeah, yes, be has brown. to be brown. I would and, say, uh, you know, you you want to get a little, at least a little bit of roasty in there, and you want to get a little bit of hoppy in there. Right. You know, and then uh, like Mike's saying, uh, balance is 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 critical in just about every beer, and uh, you know it could be uh, bitter, but you got to have some balancing. It could this be, is like a double brown. Yeah, this is this way yeah. up there. Right, right. But it's good. It's one of my favorites, and. And I think if you were to strictly go by the style guides on his, uh, it may not may not uh, do so well. But uh, it is it is a it is a great beer, and uh, he's gotten gold in the uh, second round of the nationals, which is very difficult to do uh, with that. Plus, so. plenty in California. So, oh yeah, yeah, dominates places places all over the, all over here in California. And I've had my American Brown side by side with his, and you know, his was better. Yeah, it, uh, I, I, yeah, I would probably, I would probably drink his over mine. Okay. And, uh, I think mine might be closer to the accepted style, but, uh, you know. It's more unique or bolder. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I like everything Mike Bruce. It, 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 he's an excellent brewer. All right. So, uh, uh, an email from Larry. Larry writes, uh, Mr. Zanishef, a while back I read an interview with you in Zymergy and you had stated that something to this effect. You would invest all of your time into yeast. I've been doing this uh, to some degree, attempt to reduce my start lag times. However, I've seen me meaning mixed results. Uh, he goes on to talk about how a lot of other brewers are getting starts within six hours. His average start time is around 12 to 24 hours. He wants some dramatic improvement. So he started using oxygen, and he's oxygenating for about 90 seconds. And uh, he's talking about his base recipe of uh, 1062. He's pitching two White Labs uh, vials of California ale yeast at 75 degrees. Vials are very fresh, and uh, he's uh, fermenting in a closet that's about 72 degrees. And uh, he sees active fermentation about 24 hours. She wants to know, uh, is he underpitching? Uh, you know, is there things to be concerned about? And, uh, you know, kind of, kind of my general comments on it. Um, a couple things to consider. One is, uh, sometimes people focus too much on the need to, uh, reduce the lag time. Uh, it's important not to have a really long lag time, but, you know, there's a practical limit. You want a good, healthy start more than you want a super fart. Super, <laughs> super fart. I like that. I said fart. Uh, more than you want a uh, super fast start. <laughs> so, you know, again, um, a healthy start rather than a super fast start. Uh, if you're seeing signs of fermentation, pressure on the airlock, a bubble or two, uh, within 8 to 12 hours, that's okay. It's really not a problem. That's fine. You don't, you know, people go, oh, it started in an hour. It's like you, you don't even need that. And, and, um, it can re- result in, you know, less than ideal beer. Uh, the yeast need to go through some growth. You need to, you know, have that to produce some esters. You need, you know, there's a lot of little things in there. And, uh, super fast start is not necessarily one of them. The amount of O2 he's doing sounds correct. About 90 seconds is fine. Anything, you know, a minute to two minutes, uh, for a five gallon batch should be about right. Uh, 75 degrees is pretty darn warm. Um, personally, I think you want to ferment all your ales around in the, the 68 degree, 68 to 70 degree range. Uh, 75, uh, 
especially as the gravity of the beer goes up, you're going to produce a lot of hotter, more fusily alcohols that can be like solvent and uh, kind of unpleasant. So I would, I would, you know, try and go with a lower temperature there. Yeah, it might be a slower start, but again, the start isn't it. You, you want a healthy fermentation all the way through. Uh, two vials of White Labs in a 1062 five-gallon batch is under pitching a bit. Um, if the tubes are super fresh, it should be okay. Uh, but ideally, uh, you want to make a starter. And uh, if that was the case, then uh, you'd get the starts in the 8 to 12-hour range, and it wouldn't have so many problems uh, getting it going. It wouldn't go to 24 hours. Uh, one thing to try, the morning uh, you're brewing, uh, make yourself uh, a bit of uh, wort around 1040. Uh, make yourself a liter of that and uh, toss your tube or tubes into that and just let it go. And and uh, if you're uh, starting brewing and it takes you, you know, five or six hours, five or six hours later, you're, that yeast is going to be in suspension. It's going to be active. It's going to, you probably see a little foamy head on top of that starter. And this is, you're, you're just getting the yeast woken up. You're getting them into the, they're starting to uh, take in the oxygen and, uh, 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 produce the sterols and the lipids that they need to uh, have uh, membrane health, and then uh, you know they're really ready to to get growing and all that. And you take that after you you done, done brewing, toss that whole thing in there, and uh, it makes a makes a huge difference. And I think uh, you know if you do that, uh, you get some quick starts. Uh, you'll be getting healthy starts. And uh, the the beer will be uh, quite a bit uh, better. What do you think about what they say on the White Labs vials? They say pitch at seventy five or below. I think you know if you're pitching a tube of yeast into a beer and you want to ensure that it gets going, uh, you know that's fine. Okay. Yeah, I think you'll make better beer do if you do it closer to your fermentation temperature. Okay. I think, uh, you know, you really, you really want to avoid getting, you know, too many esters. You want to avoid getting too much hot alcohol. You want to, uh, you know, really focus on, on what the, you know, the ideal uh, temperature profile is. What do you think about pitching cold for ales and then letting it rise to your ale temp? That's okay to some extent. Um, you need to be careful because if you're doing your starter warm, um, you end up, uh, going into, um, too cold to work. Oh. And you can stun the yeast that way, too. Okay. All right. Uh, California Common. Today we're talking about uh, California Common beer, and uh, you might know of this as uh, Steam Beer, which is a trademark name of the Anchor Steam uh, Brewing Company. So uh, when you're writing about this, you call it California Common. Why is it to... called California Common? Like California Common, it's uh, really believed to have been created here when mm. and back in the gold rush they were a lot of the german brewers would come over and they're trying to provide uh german lager beer to all the thirsty uh people working the mines and stuff right. in san francisco and uh you know where um th- these brewers were and they did not have refrigeration at that time it was very difficult and there were no real ice fields close by to to get a lot of ice mm. Or, uh, cold lagering caves or things like that. And so what they ended up doing was, uh, putting the beer in, uh, uh open, uh, shallow fermenters and help, using that to help hold the, the temperature down. And they would open the windows in the brewery and let the cool San Francisco air blow through and keep, wow. help keep the, the, uh, fermenting, uh, wort, uh, cooler, fermenting beer cooler. Were these open fermenters too? Yes. And they're, they're open fermenters today. If you go to Anchor Steam, they're in a closed room that's, right. you know, super filtered, but, uh, okay. <laughs> they're open and it's part of the process. And, um, so, uh, what happened was they ended up using their lager yeast, but it, ended, it was at a you know, warmer temperature. And what happened was, uh, it changes kind of the profile. It's no longer quite so lagerish and it's not quite like an ale. You get some of the fruitiness of the ale. You get some of that, that, uh, characteristic of ale fermentation, but you get some of the characteristic of lager fermentation. It's very unique. It's called a hybrid beer. Okay. Uh, ales, or lagers that are done at ale temperatures or ales that are done at lager temperatures. I'm, con- I'm confused. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> of course. Of course. Yes. Uh, so, uh, 
Anyways, uh, and then there's all sorts of theories on how the name steam beer, uh, came to pass. And they were saying, well, it was highly carbonated and it would spritz when they opened the keg. Or it was like, oh, the fog coming in would, you know, <laughs> do like this steam. and look like steam. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they had all sorts of, uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, things. Uh, you know, they, when they were in the shallow fermenters, you know, and the, the warm wort, uh, would, uh, uh, it's, you know, let off a little steam or something. You know, there's, there's all sorts of stories. But, uh, suffice to say, uh, uh, Anchor, uh, Brewing Company, they actually saved the style. It was the last thing they were brewing. There was like one account left and, uh, Fritz Maytag bought the, the company and, and, uh, started cleaning up, uh, the brewery and, and the beers they were making. And they, they, they saved that, that steam beer style. It is, uh, steam beer or, uh, California Common is perhaps the only uh, truly American style. It is a style created here in, in the US of A and, uh, it's probably one of the only, and, and now I guess, uh, we could claim like double IPA. Yeah. <laughs> all those, oh, all yeah. those big ass beers. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, California Common is, is perhaps, uh, the only uh, truly traditional American beer. Have uh, you checked so. out their website yet? Anchor, Anchor Brewing? Yes, I've been on it. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been it's on it recently. Website. Have they changed it? Or? No, I just think it's a great website. So people should check it out if they're listening. Absolutely, yeah. check check it out. Uh, great, great place. Uh, great company. Great, great bunch of. There's uh, a great. And great there's a great, great picture guy. of uh, two guys on the corner, and it says "Cold Steam Beer," and just looks welcoming. You know, <laughs> Cold Steam Beer. All right. You, you like pictures of guys on corners? Or? Yeah, I do, especially next to beer signs. <laughs> All right. So uh, after the break, we are going to. Uh, Get into a little bit more on the style and the recipe for making a fantastic steam beer. This is the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about California Common or Steam Beer. Uh, if you are listening live, you can uh, click on that chat now button and get in the uh, chat room with a bunch of other listeners. Or you can call 888-401-BEER. That's right, John. Smaller, smaller size coffee, uh, next, next show. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the, uh, 188-401-Beer, and you can, you can call in live and, uh, ask questions of the show, and, uh, especially at the end of the show, last 15 minutes, we like to kind of cover, uh, questions and recap what we're doing. Alright, so California Common Beer. Uh, the aroma, it tends to have kind of a woody, uh, rustic, uh, quality to it. And that is from the traditional northern brewer hops. You could use a different type of hop, um, you know, and, and make it your own. But really, if you're, there's really only one true commercial example of uh, steam beer, I, I think. And, and you gotta use northern brewer. I always use northern brewer. I think it, it just, it, it works. It's, it's, there's some reason why, why that works. Uh, you might get a bit of caramel in there, some toasty malt, uh, aromas. And, uh, you know, to, to kind of support and balance out those hops, a little bit of fruitiness, uh, no, uh, other off flavors, no diacetyl, things like that, and, you know, DMS. It's a, uh, uh, copper color beer, uh, clear, nice head, uh, the flavor is, uh, uh fairly malty, uh, with a, a very strong hop bitterness. It, it's a, it's a fairly bitter beer. It's, it's firm. The finish is pretty, balance too you know the right. sweetness and the hopness mm-hmm. so. and uh yeah you, you got that uh, malty bitter balance as well and there's some toastiness and a little bit of caramelly in there and um uh pretty good hop flavor especially the fresher the beer is the more hop flavor and aroma you're going to get when it's older and it's been sitting in the bottle a while uh, a lot of those tend to get get muted uh, medium body uh, medium high carbonation Around, uh, you know, two and a half for plus volumes. And, uh, it is, in a way, kind of similar to, you know, uh, 
an American pale ale with a bit of extra crystal to it and, uh, uh, you know, superficially, right. uh, similar. And, uh, the biggest difference being the fermentation. And the fermentation is everything in this, this style of beer. Now, but the recipe is fairly similar to American pale. I have a bunch of questions for you for fermentation later. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. All right, so this is around a 5% uh, alcohol beer, you know, 5.2 or so. Uh, I've used 30 to 35, 30 to 45, SRM 10 to 14, uh, starting gravity 1048 to 1054. So they give, BJCP gives uh, examples of Anchor Steam, Southampton West Coast Steam Beer, Old Dominion Victory Amber, Flying Dog, Old Scratch Amber Ale, or Amber Lager. But, uh, you know, things I've had around, I, I haven't had a, a number of those, but, uh, you know, things I've had around that really are, uh, you know, good examples, good homebrew examples, uh, you know, when they're, when they're right, they're really good. And when they're not quite right, they're not so good. You know, there's something, something weird about the fermentation, I think. Would you say the style is similar to like, a, a Vienna lager or? Yeah. Yeah, I would. But with more or hops. an Oktoberfest, yeah, uh, you know, bitter. yeah, maybe maybe an Oktoberfest back when uh, it was more bitter and and more hoppy okay. and uh, and uh, you know with a with the steam beer yeast, right. yeah. No, I think that's a, that's an excellent point because again, you know, there were German brewers coming over mm-hmm. and uh, setting up breweries, and what they knew how to brew was you know German lagers, right? Then. And that's what they were trying to do, and they were trying to adapt to. Uh, you know, local available ingredients and, uh, you know, uh, conditions. Hmm. So they didn't quite have that uh, fermentation control that, that they had. They didn't have the gold caves and all that. You know, San Francisco gets pretty warm. Yeah. It's pretty cool though. Year round. Yeah. And year round. It's, yeah. you know, it's like that, you know, 60 degree year round type of, type of like 65 degree. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> alright. So let's go into, uh, all grain. And extract versions of uh, my California common ale. I brew a California common ale that I think is just spectacular. It's good. This <laughs> <laughs> from a guy who like, hadn't had Anchor Steam before until uh, like yeah, yesterday. Had, no, it's, Anchor's one of my favorite beers for many years. So, <laughs> well, yours is yours is way. I think it's over the top. It's too malty. It's you're right. I make mine. Of course, you are uh, Mr. Malty. Exactly. So, I make mine a, a little uh, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Than uh, the Anchor product. I make mine uh, a, a, a touch sweeter uh, malt-wise mm-hmm. uh, in order to uh, balance uh, substantial bitters, and uh, I like it that way. You like it that way. I like well, it a little, the a one little five four zone, huh? A little, <laughs> a little uh, more critical or, or creamy, and a you know. So instead of the dial going to ten, mine goes to eleven. Ooh, right? okay. <laughs> Turn it up a notch, right, Mister Malty? That's that's right. That's me. Don't wear that out. All right, so uh, what I use in mine, I use uh, uh, a pale uh, two-row, about uh, 72% or so. I use uh, Victory Malt, uh, just a touch, uh, you know, three or so percent. And uh, Munich Malt, around 15%, uh, Crystal 40, around 7%, and... Uh, I like to use a pale chocolate malt, which is uh, around 200 Levelbon. And what it's going to add for you is a nice toasty note. And you'd think it would add a lot of roasty and chocolatey, and it, it, and it doesn't. It's half, half the color. It's called pale chocolate. I think, uh, uh there's a couple of, uh, manufacturers of it now, but, uh, I use maybe 1% of, of that pale chocolate and Very it bad. gives you uh, a toasty note. And, and if a- anything in Anchor Steam that's missing from a lot of homebrew versions is a toasty note. Huh. And it's in, it's in, uh, you know, the, the product from Anchor Brewing. Right. And in, in homebrew ver- versions of California Common, you get, uh, you get the caramel note and you're missing that toasty note. And I think that, and, and it's a different toasty than you get from going like, say, with a English pale malt. Okay. Aren't you going to get some toasty character from the Victory? Uh, yes and no. The, the Victory tends to be a little more caramelly than it is toasty, I think. Okay. But, uh, you know, that's, grainy. that's again, uh, so, you know, trying to support that, uh, that flavor. Yeah, uh, you have a fair amount of Munich in that too. Yeah, 15%. Wow. 
Yeah. So uh, in a in a six gallon batch, uh, let's see here, you're going to go with uh, about nine and a half pounds of uh, uh, pale uh, two row. America Turo, you're going to go with a half pound of Victory, two pounds of Munich, a pound of Crystal 40, and uh, uh, just, uh, boy, two ounces of uh, pale chocolate. Mm. And uh, that gets you the right color and uh, gets you the right flavor profile. It turns out just just wonderful. As far as hopping goes, I use nothing but Northern Brewer. and I'll use pellets. I'll use uh, uh, an ounce at 60 minutes. An ounce and a half at 15 minutes, an ounce and a half at one minute, and that's with a six and a half percent alpha acid. That's six and a half uh, homebrew bittering units uh, at 60 minutes, uh, nine and three quarters homebrew bittering units at 15 minutes, and at uh, one minute. And uh, that's going to give you that woody, rustic, uh, uh, maybe slightly citrusy uh, hop character, metallicy. Uh, no, I don't get any metallic. Minty? Minty, possibly, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got some characters in there. Metallic, uh, I don't think is one of them. Mm. Uh, as far as, uh, extract brewing, your, your grain bill, um, you replace that pale malt with, uh, an extra pale, uh, liquid malt extract. You're gonna need about, uh, six and a half pounds to, uh, uh, give you an equivalent uh, amount of uh, extract, and you're gonna need a pound and a half about of uh, Munich uh, liquid malt extract to replace that uh, Munich malt. That, or you'd need to uh, do a, a mini mash of that Munich malt. Okay, mm-hmm. Munich malt can't be steeped. I see it in a lot of recipes, but it's it's a grain that needs to be converted in order to uh, get its sugars. Well, out. You know, we sure talk about Munich malt a lot. Uh huh. You know, I think more beer should get Munich extract. What do you think? I thought you guys had Munich extract. Uh-uh. Nope. No Munich extract. We could have it made, so we will work on that. Hmm. Yeah, I thought at one point you had Munich uh-uh. extract. It's German okay. pills. English. Well, somebody somebody yeah. has Munich extract. I know that for a fact. Maybe maybe it's Northern Brewer Probably. or somebody has uh, Munich extract. Because, uh, yeah, you, you you can't steep those grains in if you're doing uh, extract and specialty grains. But it's not that difficult to... Uh, mash that, that malt. So, uh, Munich malt will convert itself. It takes a little while, but, uh, all you need to do is, uh, for every pound of Munich grain you have, and the, the homebrew store you're getting from is gonna crush it. Just, uh, it can be mixed in with all your other specialty grains. For every pound of grain you have, you're gonna need about a quart and a half of water, around, mm, 160, 165 degrees or so. You mix that all together with the grains in, in your pot, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, throw a blanket around it or something. When you mix it in with that, that water, what's going to happen is the temperature is going to come down into the 150 range. You want to be in the 150s. Uh, middle to low 150s is ideal, but anywhere in there is going to kind of work. Um, the warmer it is, the faster it's going to go. You don't want it uh, hotter than that. Uh, than the 150s, and you want it really colder than one, uh, the 150s. So if you got to get in that range, uh, and just wrap a blanket around it or a sleeping bag or something, go off and do something else for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever, then come back and, uh, rinse your grains out just like you normally do, uh, when you're, when you're steeping your grains. And, uh, that will at least get, uh, the majority of the sugar, the starches converted to sugar in that Munich malt and make the, the best advantage of that Munich malt. So, uh, if you're using, uh, Munich in, in your recipe, that's, that's one of the things to do. Yeah. Don't be scared to do a mini mash. Yeah. Give it a try. Give it a try. Yeah. Don't, don't freak out that you don't have Munich malt extract. Just making oatmeal basically, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's real simple. It's, it's that simple. And, you know, there's no special equipment you're gonna need. Nothing that you, you're not already, uh, have available to you if you're, if you're using, uh, specialty grains and steeping them. Uh, you know, maybe some of the steps are a little different for you. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty simple. And it, it takes a few minutes. But, uh, that's essentially how, uh, mashing is done. And, uh, so all grain brewers are doing. Almost. Yeah, you know, and there's a few other things, details, and, and yeah, you need to be a little more careful, but I think if you're just starting out and you want to try this, it's a good thing to try. Same thing for Munich, same thing for Vienna, 
right. piano malt. Um, that needs to be converted as well. A lot of people uh, try steeping that. Mm-hmm. And you're just not getting... Uh, uh, you know the the flavors and the sugars out of that malt that you would uh, if you do the then if you do this uh, this little mini mash thing. I have a question for you. Uh-huh. You keep talking about this toasty character in this beer. Uh-huh. Um, what type of grains would you biscuity say? Biscuity and oh, biscuity, <laughs> toasty. Yeah, you know, grainy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, would you say special B could be used? Maybe no, Caramunic? Uh You could use a little Caramunic in place of the crystal. Forty. It depends what color caramelic comes in all different ranges. But what about caravine? No, you know a lot of those are going to give you more of the caramel uh, aspect. Okay. And uh, there's you already got plenty of caramel in there with the uh, the uh, crystal forty and uh, somewhat with the the victory malt as well. So how, that one ounce of chocolate you add, do you really think that adds a lot of toasted character to? Yeah, it's amazing. Really? Yeah. It's 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 a surprising grain. When I first uh, I found it down at uh, Fermentation Frenzy down in uh, uh, Los Saltos or whatever, right. the guy was he likes to carry just every little bizarre grain he can get his hands on. So every once in a while, when I was there for work, I'd pass through and go, "Oh, what do you got that I've never seen before?" And I'd get, you know, a couple pounds of everything I'd never seen before and try them. Huh. And I tried this pale chocolate, and I'm thinking, "Why? What in the world do I use this in?" And then I used it in. Uh, you know, a couple of beers in place of chocolate, and I got the huge toasty versus the roasty. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I didn't expect it to be so toasty and, and lack so much in the roast area. And then I tried, uh, you know, splitting instead of chocolate, all chocolate. I'd do like half chocolate, half uh, pale chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then I started using it to color up uh, uh, some recipes that need uh, some coloration. So you might have a recipe where you're trying to get to a certain color, color level, and we tend to use like a carafa or we tend to use uh, maybe some roasted malts mm-hmm. in small amounts just to add a little bit of color. Well, I started using pale chocolate in those too. And, uh, sure enough, a, a toasty character comes through. It's, it's, it's a, it's, so it's, it's on the roasted side of toasted. But there's a huge difference between toasted and roasted. Right. But, uh, look at it this way. If you have, um, a piece of toast in the, you know, a piece of bread. Okay. And, and you try it and it's not toasted. And then you put it in the toaster and you very lightly toast it to where it's just starting to firm up. Right. That's got a different brown. flavor. Okay. And then you toast a little bit more so it turns like that light golden color. Yeah. And you try that, that's different. You toast a little bit more so it's a dark golden color. It tastes different. You toast a little bit more until it's starting to burn and that's a different right. taste. It's all varying degrees of toastiness. That's why there's that little number on the toaster that allows you to change how <laughs> toasty, number. How, how dark and toasty your toast is. What's the Lebebon on? The chocolate malt you use. That pale chocolate is 200. Okay. And I believe you guys are carrying that. We do carry I, Yeah, I whined and complained for a, for a long time. And we have chocolate wheat now, too. Yeah, um, you know, and the chocolate wheat's interesting, uh, you know. Dunkelweizen? Yeah. I haven't, uh, yeah, and I've, I've used it in that. I haven't found, um, you know, pale chocolate, and the reason I, I stumped long and hard, I don't want to get too far in this, stumped long and hard for, for getting pale chocolate in the store was that... Um, I can't really find a replacement for it. I cannot find anything else that does the same thing that the pale chocolate does. In a lot of other things, you can find things that are similar or you can kind of adjust this and that and use a combination of this, that, or the other thing and, and kind of, you know, fake it. You know, chocolate wheat, I think you can use chocolate malt and, yeah, right. it's pretty, pretty darn close. Um, you know, there is a difference, but, uh, you know, you're, you're close enough. On this toasted pale chocolate thing, you're replaceable. You can't. Uh, there's nothing there. Huh. How many grains can you name that are 200 Lovabond in that range? No. I, I've, I've even tried the, the German, uh, Rost malt, hmm. which is like a, it's a crystal 200, kinda. Wow. And, uh, of course that's totally different, but, you know, somebody couldn't get me pale chocolate and they sent me a sack of <laughs> Rost malt. So I had 55 pounds of this. And you still have crystal it Crystal 200. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I think I gave it away or uh, something. I, I might have given it down to Coif or something. Um, yeah, it's just like, oh my god. So, you know, there aren't a lot of grains in that, uh, Lovabon range, and, uh, uh, I, I can't think of any other, uh, uh, roasted grains that are in that range. You know, there's, there's the caramelized grains, and, but that's about it. Okay. 
So, uh, it's a unique character and, and I, I keep it on hand and you'll see it in a lot of my recipes because I really like what it does. Especially if a recipe, if a, uh, a beer needs toasty, this is one of my secrets right here. This okay. is one of the inner circle you secrets. Just gave away that, a secret. Uh, yeah, I've given away for a long time. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, uh, it, it really does make a, make an interesting difference. Now for yeast, uh, you're gonna go with, a specific San Francisco lager, steam beer yeast, California common yeast. And uh, both White Labs and Y yeast carry it. And uh, when we come back from break, uh, we will uh, get into uh, uh, fermentation, how you uh, handle that, and uh, little secrets and tips there. Now, back to the Jameel Show. Welcome back. We are talking about uh, California Common as a style. Uh, Steam beer is also known by, uh, which is a trademark of the Anchor Brewing Company. And uh, we were just wrapping up the uh, recipe. And uh, as far as mash temp, if you're doing an all grain version, uh, I like. Uh, what's my uh, my sweet spot? Uh, oh, I know your sweet spot. One in mash five, temperature, not, four. not on my body. Oh, oh yeah, one fifty four. Right. Correct. Uh, which is about sixty eight uh, degrees C. Uh, one fifty four Fahrenheit. And uh, what that's going to do is give you uh, you know a nice uh, medium body uh, beer. Uh, if you're finding yours turn out uh, a bit uh, too thick and sweet, uh, go to a lower mash temp. If it's coming out too dry, go to a higher mash temp. Again, that's uh, just kind of a, an indicator point for you. As far as yeast goes, uh, you need to use, you can't make a California common with, uh, you know, California ale yeast or with uh, just your general lager yeast. You really need to go to either White Labs or Y yeast and get their specific uh, for White Labs, it's the WLP008, which is a San Francisco lager yeast. For Y yeast, it's their California lager 2112. Both of those are excellent yeasts and will do a really good job. And that's going to give you that important characteristic. Now, now you were having some, uh, anchor at a, at a wedding this weekend, you were saying? Right. On, can we? And, and tell was, us about it. Well, it was on, it was on draft. Uh-huh. Uh, and what did you think of the fermentation characteristics of that beer? Uh, it was pretty fruity. You got some fruitiness out of it, sure. Well, my palate was kind of shot too with it, but the more I drank it, the fruity character went away, and then more of the hop character came uh-huh. through. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it seemed like it was fermented. And did you get 60s. some a, a little bit of uh, lager characteristics in there? A little bit of the sulfury lager characteristics, no, and no the, sulfur, and a bit of the ale characteristics as well. Yeah. No. It's kind of like a balancing act. I, the yeast is, I think it's a weird yeast, quite honestly. So I don't, <laughs> I would use it probably like a Bach yeast and ferment it hot. Yeah, you would. But I would. that would be the wrong way to yeah. go, I'm telling you. You really, you, this is one of those things where I believe in using, you know, one lager yeast and using that for all my lagers. Yeah. I really do. I, you know me, I'm not going to mess around with growing up, uh, more than one lager. And I repitch my lager yeast. And uh, there's lots of good lager yeast out there, but I, I I like to do that. The the one thing I'll go to the special trouble of making a, a uh, you know getting a, a pitch of this uh, San Francisco California lager uh, yeast grown up in order to uh, make this beer. You can use this um, in other beers. I've heard, especially in a porter, in a robust porter. What? It works out quite nicely, and uh, I've had a number of people tell me that. So uh you could you could start out with that and then make your uh you know do your porter and then uh you know switch to that or or vice versa and uh make make a nice beer that way. So where do you ferment this? What temperature? Uh you want to ferment this in the very low 60s. Um you're going to go 60 62. I I I've been to Anchor and I've seen the temperature of fermentation and it was reading like 65 67. Now, that might be at the, I don't know what part of the fermentation it was though. Right. Uh, Maybe what I would end. recommend is starting out low around, uh, you know, as low as maybe 58, 60, 
and letting that warm up. And towards the end, you can let it warm up to 67 or whatever, and that is going to give you some of those esters, and it is going to uh, help reabsorb diacetyl. It's going to uh, you know help finish the beer off, uh, get rid of the acetaldehyde, things like that. And uh, that would be starting around 16 degrees C and going up over the course of, of time to 19 degrees C. If you don't want to do that, that, and if you do something like that, you want to have this controlled. You don't want to just wildly swing it around. You want to start out and then, you know, gradually ramp that up. And uh, that's how I do mine. Or if you just want to pick a temp and stick to it, and that's, you know, you can't uh, be babying the thing every day, then go with maybe 62 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 17 degrees C, and uh, just ride it out at that. You need a nice big pitch of yeast. This is like a, like a lager. So you really do need to uh, build up a nice big pitch of yeast to have a good starter going. This yeast seems like you could really screw it up if you don't hit your temperature right because it's because of the temperature range, it's between an ale, it's between a lager. If you don't have temperature sure. control, right? I right. mean, you'd really want to have temperature control, I'd say. Oh, definitely. I, although, uh, what's nice about it is if you have a good, cold, steady place, um, uh, you know, it's, it's people's houses, sometimes they, they have an area or a basement where they can ferment things at 62 all the time and they're, they're desperate for styles to brew at 62. I've seen this before. Right. And you can do Hefeweizens, German Hefes. You can do, you know, Kolsch's. You can do uh, uh, steam beers. And uh, uh, there's, there's, you know, you can't really get into lager territory, and it's too cold for a lot of ales. And uh, you know, you end up having to, uh, you know, do something to change the temperature. Now, do you ferment yours in your laundry room, next to the door, <laughs> or do you do it in the conical? Yeah. Um, uh, what I I use uh, laundry room. No, I use a, a glass door refrigerator oh, okay. and carboys. Oh, okay. So I used to use the uh, small seven and a half uh, seven gallon uh, uh, conicals, but I stopped using them. Uh, the only conical I'm using now is I have a a twelve gallon one, and the reason I use that one is because um, it'll hold a ten gallon batch. Oh, okay. That's the only thing I have that'll hold ten gallons. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful piece of equipment. It's got the built-in cooling and all that. And, uh, uh, it, it, uh, works great. But, uh, for your average five gallon batch, uh, carboys work really well for me. And, uh, they're, you know, it's a vessel that's consistent across, uh, many fermentations. How do you so like how, that? How do you like fermenting in a 12.2 gallon conical, but only half the volume? I mean, do you notice a difference? In flavor, as far oh no, I I I only do ten gallon batches in that, oh. and I'll usually put in ten and a half to eleven gallons of okay. of wort. I thought I thought you'd actually add in six gallons and just ferment that in there too. No, I don't think you can. Okay. I don't I don't think it'll work out right. And the temperature probes aren't submerged. I think you need at yeah, least cool. what seven gallons in that twelve to to be able to to do it. So. uh yeah, it's nice, and, and the the thing about that is uh, when I do it, then that gives me like five gallons of beer to give to Justin and stuff like that. So uh, that's otherwise, yeah, I've gone all carboys, and and the the reason I used to use the conicals was I had no way of really uh, chilling down the wort to lager temperatures, and then um, drawing off the uh, the break material off the off the fermenter. And what the the conical allows you to do is um, you can move the whole thing to the to the fridge and I would chill it, you know, all day or overnight and the next morning I would draw off that break material that had settled and then I'd pitch my yeast. And uh it, it it's important to remove your break material from loggers. Uh super clean. Yeah, well, and you don't, you know, people will worry, oh, I heard that you need some break material in order to, uh, you know, uh, it's good for the yeast and all this. And, um, there's plenty of break material. There's plenty of break material still suspended in, in the, uh, in the wort. But, uh, yeah, you want to generally remove it. Um, and I, the conicals are very handy for that because there's a valve on the bottom. I could just open that, pour that off, and then rather than racking from container to container, which is, uh, uh, a little more prone to uh, contamination. 
So I would, I would do that. And then, uh, people thought I was using the conicals to remove the yeast from the beer and all that. And I don't do any of that stuff. The only reason I was using them was because they allow me to do that. And also, uh, you can reach inside to clean them, which is nice. Yeah. And, uh, so I was doing that. And now that I do the whirlpool chiller, I can chill things down really fast and, uh, uh, I can get uh, down to a lager temperature uh, through that before I get into the, the vessel and leave my break material behind and go straight into the carboy. Your whirlpool chiller is yeah. highly popular right now at my shop. Oh, sweet! Yeah, yeah. lots of lots of people are. Uh, I get a lot of email from people who have set them up and are, are just thrilled. You can read about that on uh, com. M R M A L T Y dot com. All right, so uh, we have a question from the chat room. Somewhere. Yes. Yes. You want to share that question with us, Justin? No, I'm doing the John uh, answer for you. <laughs> so you had Anchor Steam. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, well, first question. Um, let me do the on-topic questions. Then I'll give you uh, just a couple right. off-topic questions. Does this uh, yeast, being a lager yeast, require uh, as much lagering time as a normal lager yeast? Or is it drinkable uh, a bit sooner? It's drinkable right away. Again, if you control your initial fermentation temperature, even in a lager, if you pitch plenty of yeast and you ferment, uh, you know, at the proper temperature, a nice cool temperature, um, the resulting beer is drinkable pretty much right away. Okay. Talking two to three weeks fermentation time? Yeah, on the California lager, it's like two weeks. Chat room wants, if you need to unload any of your conicals, Jamil, they'll pay the shipping for you. <laughs> they'll help Thank you out with that. They're, they're being real helpful today. All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh. Okay. I do have a question uh, from the chat room about one of your other recipes. Uh, somebody brewed your amber recipe. And they missed your mash temp, which I guess is 156 on that particular recipe. Mm-hmm. They hit 152. This is from JB Brewer. He hit 152, so he wants to know if this is going to affect the color, body, and flavor of that beer now. Uh, it definitely will. And and uh, what's going to happen is it's going to be a little bit drier beer, a little, little thinner body, and a little higher alcohol. And... The only real problem in that, I mean, that, that generally can be just fine, and it may, may turn out just perfect. It depends on the individual brewer system. It depends on fermentation, how much yeast you pitch, and, you know, if you got a proper fermentation and all that. And uh, the only drawback in something like that is that, well, you know, it may end up a little more bitter and not quite as balanced as it would have before. But yeah, it's not the end of the world. You know, definitely give it a try. It it affects uh, you know uh, the flavor uh, through that. It affects uh, body through being a little thinner. It's gonna be a little more fermentable. Uh, it actually, uh, I would not. Uh, it's probably a very slight change, but I'll bet you it affects color as well. If you were to take some lab equipment, high end lab equipment, and and compare the two. You would see that uh, with the extra fermentability, you know, the yeast might, you know, the color might be just slightly different. Uh, probably not uh, directly noticeable, but uh, it could be could be slightly different. Or it'll just be better. It could be. It could, it could turn be. out just just great. Perfect. So, uh, you know, sometimes those those mistakes, which you do, uh, I usually I'll, even after I make a mistake like that. I ferment it out. I, you know, treat it still like a, it's going to be a great beer, and then I keg it and I try it. And it's when I try it that I decide whether I'm going to pour it out or not. Generally, see, the good news is he's going to have beer anyways, yeah. so he's set. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it'll be it'll be a fine drinkable beer. That's another recipe that uses that uh, that pale chocolate. Okay, quick a couple quick questions. Then they they would like you to recap the entire recipe as right. usual. Uh, what kind of scale to bale your coke? <laughs> you want to know? Which I think you've covered a couple of times, right? Yes, yeah, so a coke baling scale. Uh, so you can just look through the past episodes for that? Yes. And do you need to wear pants while brewing this particular style of beer? I would recommend always wearing something covering the uh, genitalia area. <laughs> yeah, covering your man region. <laughs> it's yeah. probably a good or, idea. Or your Shangina region. <laughs> the, uh, because uh, the, the, the there's a lot of hot equipment uh Running around and yeah. uh, you know not all of it is yours. It's uh, you know there that you're brewing on and could be very dangerous that way. Okay. So uh, especially if you've uh, been uh, using the uh, highly accurate uh, gram scale, 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you don't want to get uh, too out of control and, and get yourself burnt. Yes. So okay, uh, cover the nether regions. And then actually, last thing, and you don't need to give the description here, but uh, they want to know if you could modify your website to include how you modified your air conditioner to build that cold room of yours. If you could, at some point, put a description yeah. of how to do that. They want to know how you bypass the thermostat. I know. Everybody wants to know that, and I'm just so terrified of putting that up there and somebody like, Electrocutes themselves. themselves. <laughs> and like, you know, burns down their house, kills their kids, all that. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what you're point. doing, don't screw with it. You know, yeah. get, get somebody who knows what they're what they're doing. Yeah, it, okay. It, it can be dangerous. Uh, so I don't know. I, I I might put it up there with a lot of disclaimers, but uh, okay. It's always worried me. Still in the works. Yeah. All, All right. right. So to recap, uh, what I use uh, to make a California Common six gallon batch, I'm going to do a 65 minute boil on this. I'm not going to boil it too long. I like the shorter boil for this. I'm shooting for about a 1055 uh, original gravity, which is about 14 Plato. And I'm using nine and a half pounds of pale malt, a half pound of victory, two pounds of Munich, a pound of crystal 40. I use just a couple ounces, two ounces of uh, pale chocolate, um, an ounce of northern brewer at six and a half percent alpha at 60 minutes, an ounce and a half at 15 minutes, and an ounce and a half at a minute. And, uh, use the whirlpool chiller, crash it down real, real quick to, uh, around, uh, 60 degrees or so. And pitch a nice big, uh, starter of, or slurry of, uh, either White Labs WLP008 San Francisco Lager or the Y Yeast 2112 California Lager Yeast. Ferment that sucker out around 62 degrees or alternatively, you know, what I do is I start out, you know, 5860 and I slowly let that thing ramp up towards the very end. I might be around 6567 of, uh, fermentation, which is, uh, 16 degrees C to start and ending up around 19 degrees C. Uh, mash temperature on this, if you're all grain, uh, 68 degrees C, which is about 154, my, my favorite sweet spot. And if you're an extract brewer, you're gonna replace that, uh, uh nine and a half pounds of pale malt with, uh, uh, six and a half pounds of extra pale uh, liquid malt extract or and the uh, Munich malt they replace those two pounds with uh, a pound and a half of a Munich extract or do your little uh, mini mash uh, try and keep the the grains in the 154 range and uh, with a quart and a half of water per pound and that's it make yourself a good California common bye Jamil Bye, John. See Everybody, you, go out there and uh, brew strong. Hell yeah! Next time it's mild. You guys are doing mild brown, mild. And uh, coming up tomorrow around this time is the Graham Sanders show uh, out of Australia. One of my favorites. After this, uh, some random show. I'm going to play last Jamil show. Actually, I'm going to replay right, your sweet. last Jamil show. So lots of good information coming up. Stick with it. I'll talk to you later. Bye. The Jamil Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Brewing Network.